Facebook Live, huh? Boy, the pressure's on. For all the slackers who didn't make it to church. Hey, if the sermon gets boring, you can just keep scrolling to my personal page and check out all my cute pictures of my kids and stuff, so. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, uh, I love you guys. It's so good to come home and, and see everybody. and um, So much so that I, I'm, I'm on, technically I'm on vacation right now. We've been in the Idaho backcountry, hence the mustache. I thought that was, I wanted to fit in, you know, so grew a mustache for vacation. And uh, yeah, so I uh, came out, <laughs> I flew out yesterday and, and made it here, and I, I looked like I'd been in the Idaho backcountry, like jeans are dirty, dirty t-shirt. I'm like, I better run up to the South Hill Mall really quick and get a shirt. So, you know, I bought a shirt. I wanted to look nice for you guys. And I just grabbed it off the rack, size large, easy peasy, no brainer. And I got it home and I put it on. I'm like, good Lord, do you see these things right here? <laughs> I bought a blouse. <laughs> so, uh, I've, I've got a blouse and a mustache. <laughs> God help us. Lord, we love you this morning, and we pray that, uh, Lord, you would just be the center of the service. Lord, we pray that you would find, find us in a place where we uh, can, can begin to worship you again. Pray, Lord, that as we look to your word, that you would help it find its way to our hearts and to our minds. Lord, would you uh, not allow me to screw this up? Would you ordain my thoughts and anoint my lips? As I handle your word, Lord, may we do so accurately and honoring to you. And uh, just thank you for Ray. I thank you for Mary. I thank you for the leadership of this church. I'm thankful for the ministry this church has had on me personally. I look out and I see so many people who have loved me through difficult seasons, who have encouraged me in my relationship with Jesus. And it's just such a joy to be here in the house of God in my home church. And so, yeah, Lord, we give you a high five. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Can you give God a high five? I don't know. Sure. Hey, this is the fourth sermon. It's going to be a little lax, all right? I feel like, like, uh, like I keep failing, like, nope, go do it again. My like, God, Lord, okay. <laughs> hey, we're, we're going to be in Psalms 103 today, and I love the book of Psalms because I love it because it's such a human response to who God is. Uh, so oftentimes in Scripture, we see amazing examples of men and women who radically followed Jesus in incredible ways. In the Psalms, it's, it's very human. There's, there's Psalms of uh, great triumph and joy and sorrow and hurt and disbelief. And, and uh, I just, I find myself there a lot. Rarely do I wake up in the morning and do I like, man, I can't wait to open the Old Testament and check out the book of Lamentations but oftentimes I find myself in the book of Psalms. The Psalms are our chorus as believers. They're our wounded cry. It's our victorious celebration. They're the songs of our Christian experience. And my hope this morning is that the songs would cease to be background music, but rather they would become our anthem once again. And that we would be believers who would begin to sing louder, that we would sing these songs with more passion, that we would sing these songs with more truth and more vulnerability, and for some of us, that we would just begin to sing again. Some of us in the room have lost our song, and I think God's invitation for all of us today is that 
we would return, that we would find our voice again in singing praise to him. And the Psalms, they come in all musical genres. Check this out. In Psalm 22, six, I see the blues, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Whoa, that's a blues song. I see, uh, I love the classical uh, rendition of Igor Stravinsky's conduction of a symphony of the Psalms. If you've never heard that, uh, it's worth a Spotify download. It's, it's really, really powerful, no matter what music you like. I see, uh, I see rock and roll in the Psalms. Bob Dylan saying, by his word, I have been healed. He quotes that from Psalm 107.20. And in Psalm 137.9, it says, blessed is the one who takes your little children and smashes them against the rocks. No, that's not Metallica. That's like the Bible, people. So you even have some death metal in the Bible. <laughs> to put it in context, Israel was in captivity in Babylon at the time and they were longing for their home and they were ticked off at their enemies. But nonetheless, it's a very human response to their situation. It's a cry out to God. I come from a very musical family. Uh, my aunt uh, was from New York City. She was the executive director of Carnegie Hall, one of the most important musical uh, venues in the entire world. And my uncle, Ron, was in the White House Orchestra for, for many, many years. And uh, my cousin, Joseph, uh, was, anytime Yo-Yo Ma plays, uh, he, there's, if there's a second or a third cello, he's in the mix. And these are talented people that I'm related to, but got none of their talent. Uh, <laughs> And uh, my grandfather was also from New York City and he was a jazz percussionist in the 30s and the 40s. And uh, he played with Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, he gigged with her for a time. And Ella knit my grandfather a tie during rehearsal once and she gave it to him and my grandmother lost it. And I'm gonna forgive her someday. Um, today's not the day. And. Uh, my grandfather got a job, uh, it was looking for extra work, so he, he uh, went and gigged with this band that was looking for a percussionist and got the job. They actually offered it to him. And after thinking about it, he goes, nah, I'm not really that into it. Like my, my grandfather's a pure jazz percussionist and, uh, and he, so he turned the job down because his sound was too new, it was too funky and it was going nowhere. Uh, and that was Glenn Miller, uh, who the whole big band era came from. And so I, we, I love the stories that my family has, and I love uh, hearing about all these um, amazing, uh, you know, musical endeavors that they've partaked in. Uh, but for me, music was never uh, that important to me. I didn't really care about it. I grew up in music on the radio at the time was Madonna in the 80s and, and, and uh, Michael Jackson and Bobby Brown and all those things. And I was like, oh, whatever, I like music, but I wasn't like that into it. Until 1991, I'll never forget, I was on the phone with the prettiest girl in seventh grade, <laughs> back when phones had cables, remember that? No texting. And I was watching MTV in the background. Remember when MTV actually played music videos? This is that era, I'm dating myself. And I remember watching it, it was the normal videos of like Madonna and the, like what I just mentioned and like the normative music that was just pop music. And then all of a sudden, there was this video that was super familiar to me. I look at it, I go, man, where, that's a live concert. That's at the Moore Theater, that's in Seattle. This is where I'm from, all of a sudden, 
there was music coming out of the city of which I lived. And I go, wow, that's, that's cool. And these guys had long hair and they had flannel shirts on, not to be a fashion statement, but because the weather sucks and you actually have to stay warm in this part of the world. And I remember going, man, and, and this lead singer was holding the microphone like this and his eyes were closed and he was singing from like his somewhere deep inside that was a hurting place and it was coming out and it was speaking to my soul in such a way that I said, whatever this is, this is the rest of my life. Hung up on the girl, away with her, this was my future. <laughs> And I'm guessing Pearl Jam wasn't your band that that happened to. But I would venture to bet that everybody in this room has had a moment when we've listened to music and it's just reached something deep inside of our soul to where we go, that's the soundtrack to my life. That is who I am. We've all done it. We've all experienced this. I think the same with love. I think, man, you know, growing up, I was like, oh, she's pretty. I love her. Oh, I love her and her and her and her and her. And I was falling in love every minute of every day with somebody new. And then I met my wife. And I'm like, I love her too. And then all of a sudden I got to know her and my heart started doing really weird things. I'm like, what's going on in there? And I'm like feeling something I've never felt before in my life. And I was truly falling in love with the girl of my dreams. Again, something that we've all experienced, something that we've all it's, all, it's happened to us in poetry and songs and literature have all fallen short in describing this emotion. I think so, but we all know it. We all can experience this. And in Psalm 103, David begins, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And I think he's saying that. He's like, listen, that emotion, that part in our inside of us, our soul, he's going, come alive and praise the name of God. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you can think back to those moments when you found yourself in a place of worship. And you think of those moments in life where God's been so real and David here, he's imploring his soul to come alive and to bless the name of God. And so that's the message and the hope of this morning's sermon, that we too would begin to find our song again. David lays out a great outline for this to happen in Psalm 103. Now, Psalms in Hebrew mean, simply mean this. They mean praises or book of praises, and so all throughout the Psalms, they're all just, it's a book of songs. That's what it is. And there's three major types. There's the hymn, which Walter Brueggemann says would be a song of orientation, meaning this, that God is good and things are as they should be. And the songs of praise testify to that. So that's a hymn. We're very familiar with what hymns are. Most of our praise songs that we sing would classify as hymns. Or there's the songs of lament. Secondly, and these are the songs of disorientation, meaning this, that they're sung when we're hurting, betrayed, upset, or feeling abandoned. These are the songs of disorientation or the songs of lament. And lastly, there's the songs of thanksgiving. 
And these are the songs, Walter Brueggemann says, are of reorientation, meaning this, like a hymn, but is a response to God hearing the prayer of lament and answering that prayer. So really, we, f- we see the full cycle of our human emotions. We've all been, had those mo- amazing moments where we're just praising God and everything is as it should be. We've also been in seasons where we're praising God, but things are very broken, and that's what's leading us to praising God. But it's a very lamentful praise. And then we also have been part of the songs of thanksgiving, where we're just going, man, We're so thankful that God has worked through the season of lament and is now bringing back the season of orientation. Now the theme in the Psalm 103 is simply this, Christ the Messiah. We see him here, even in the Old Testament. In Luke 24, 44, Jesus says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, that everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's saying, listen, I'm evident. You've known about me because you've read the book of Psalms. And secondly, a second theme here that we see is that there's a response to this Christ, the Messiah, of being hallelujah. That's the response to who Christ is in the Old Testament. It needs to be hallelujah, or rather, God be praised. In Psalm 150, there are six short verses very short verses in Psalm 150, and 13 times it says, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's the theme. It's like a sledgehammer just hitting you in the forehead over and over and over and over and over. And David here starts the Psalm saying, listen, praise or bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So if you're like me, you're going, man, can you really trust David? What David are we talking about here? Are we talking about VeggieTales David or are we talking about 2 Samuel 11 David? Sketchy David with Bathsheba David. Remember that whole story? Total gnarly sexual infidelity. That was sketchy. And then he gets called out by his, his buddy Nathan who like me too's him. He's like, dude, you can't do that. That's wrong. And then David has... Uriah and the husband, all, they were all murdered, and it was just a big, nasty mess. But the beauty of Psalm 103 is that's the former David, okay? This is the transformed David who finds himself in a posture of praising God, God knowing his history, knowing his past, and knowing that he's been redeemed and forgiven and reestablished. What an amazing, amazing place to be. If you've ever gone through a season of your lowest lows, and you're the one who put yourself in that season. You know what I'm talking about when you come out of it. Man, it's easy to find yourself in a posture of praising God. So the NIV says this in verse one, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. And the New American Standard says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And this word, Praise or bless is the Hebrew word Barak. It's like Barack Obama, but you gotta put a little phlegm, a little flavor at the end of it. And it literally means this, to kneel, to bow, or to break before. That's what this means. So it's saying, it's painting a picture that worship ought to be a physical act, that there's physicality to it. Now when I think of worship, I think of like Kevin up here leading in a guitar, which it is, so I'm saying it's not, but David here is saying it's, it's not us just kind of coming up and going, oh yeah, good job, Kevin, this is great. The band sounds great today, wonderful. I guess I'll lip sync along. No, he's going, there's physicality to it. There's emotion to it. There's gravity to it. Psalm 96, 95.6 rather says, come let us worship 
and bow down. That's physicality. Let us kneel before our Lord, our maker. So he's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. And this is where we see something really interesting. There's self-talk taking place here. David is speaking to himself. And we know, understand in our, spiritu- our spirituality as believers, self-talk is very, very, very important. How we speak to ourselves is very, very important. Now, us, all of us adults, we understand that we see it in kids. When kids are negative towards themselves, it's a very destructive pattern, and we usually work to address it really quick. But oftentimes, us adults are very hypocritical because we're very, very hard on ourselves, how we speak to ourselves. I coached uh, Little League Baseball down in uh, San Diego, down in Carlsbad, and uh, the Carlsbad Youth Dodgers. Oh, it was awesome. We won the World Series this year down in Carlsbad. It was incredible, a great season. We had this player on our team, and uh, he was really, really hard on himself. And we started to see this. In warm-ups, he would be fine, goofing around, getting ready for the game, loose, enjoy. He'd go up to the plate and take a strike, and it was like a spiral. <sighs> strike two, strike three, is out, and he'd come off the field. He's like, I suck, I suck. And it just broke your heart. We're going, oh my gosh, he's a great ball player, but we need him. So the coaching staff were trying, hey, how, do we, how do we get a hold of this kid? And so we started really working with him, saying, listen, baseball is a game of, of errors. Like if you're a 30% hitter, you're going to the Hall of Fame. Like that's baseball, man. You gotta get, be okay with it. And it, we spent so much energy trying to break him out of that habit because once he did, he, he, was, he played great baseball. And so I think we have to understand how we speak to ourselves is incredibly important here. David is saying, come on, soul, come on, innermost being, respond, feel, bow down, kneel. He's invoking himself saying, this is important, this is everything, and I wanna feel that again. Just like when I heard Pearl Jam for the first time, it's going, come on, I wanna feel this, I want this to be real. Just like I fell in love, when I fell in love with my wife, I think it's the same exact thing. No more lip syncing, no more faking it. He's saying, come alive. Let's do this thing. Let's establish God in the posture and the position that he deserves. And let's praise his name. I like that. So in verse, uh, in verse uh, two, it says this, bless the Lord on my soul and forget none of his benefits. And it goes in and talks about them. It says this, that, we, that God forgives us of our sin. Speaks of him healing us of our diseases, that he redeems our life from the pit, that he crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things. He renews your youth like the eagle. Sign me up for that, says the guy in the pulpit with the receding hairline. (laughs) He works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. This is good stuff. This is great stuff. You see, but normally worship is done out of reciprocity, meaning this, that God is good and he's bestowed all these things on us. So we respond and go, man, yeah, you're good, God. High five, we love you. But here there's a reversal of that. And I think it's very, very important. Again, we quote Psalm 103.1 all the time, but we need to understand that there's a nuance here, a very subtle one that I think could change how we return to being Christians who actually have a song to sing. And it's that of being listened The first time, when you wake up right away, you declare your praise to God. And then you go into what he has done for us. It's not because he's done this, we'll do this situation. It's no, no, no. He is this, 
So when you wake up and you know it, praise the Lord, all my soul, my innermost being, praise his holy name. I really like this. I really think this could be what will help me and you and us as the church get to a place where our soul can once again sing. So the third thing here is the character of God. Who is the Lord? Verse seven through 12 um, addresses that. Verse seven says that he has made his way known to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. We see that back in Exodus when uh, Moses was meeting with God on the mountaintop and he goes, man, just pass by and he does and he declares all these wonderful things of who he is. And we see here in scripture and back in Psalm 103 that he says that he is compassionate and gracious. He says that he is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, quoting from Exodus. But how do we know that as believers? How do we know that God is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness? Verse 10 answers that. It says, because he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. He has not dealt with us according to our sins and our iniquities. Isn't that interesting? Because we know this, for the New Testament says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages or the reward of that sin is what? It's death, it's separation from God. Why? Because God is perfect and you can't mix perfection and imperfection or it makes that which is perfect imperfect. It's logical, it makes sense. And so God in his loving, merciful kindness purifies us, disp- dispelling his righteousness and giving us his righteousness to make us be able to be in fellowship with him. It's a beautiful picture, salvific picture of what is accomplished upon the cross. It's truly, truly, truly incredible. And it's good news, especially for a guy like me. And we see that he is, secondly, he is, he is the forgiver of our sin, that he's the solution for our sin problem. Verse 12 says, for as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God removes our transgressions. And not only that, Hebrews 8:12 says, or I will remember your sins no more. He chooses to forget our sins. That's incredible. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will remember your sins no more. That's a picture I think we have to kind of land on for just a second this morning. Imagine, if you will, if I was to have... uh, Pastor Adam up. Just bring him up on stage real quick. Say, Adam, come on, the last service, we're gonna bring you up on stage. And uh, I just want everybody to acknowledge, man, isn't, isn't Pastor Adam incredible? We all love Pastor Adam. And I just wanted to use him in an illustration here in my sermon. And then without saying anything, I just turned to Adam and laid him out with a right hand. Boom, Pastor Adam, down, dead. Not dead, but just passed out. Broken nose, <laughs> broken nose. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Adam, we've been friends forever, 15 years. You're my homie. We vacationed together. Our fan, I am so sorry. I've been on vacation. I'm twitchy. I've had too much coffee. It's my fourth sermon. I'm tired. Will you forgive me? Adam, being Adam, he's amazing, would forgive me. He said, Joel, I forgive you. And Adam would go sit back down. And say I close my sermon. You know, you know, in closing, I want to bring Adam Berenger back up. So I bring Adam Berenger back up. So Adam would forgive me, which he did. But if I brought him back up on stage to close the service, he would stand over there, <laughs> right? 
You see, God's different in the fact that he forgets our sin. He doesn't remember. He chooses to forget. That's in his sovereignty. This is a choice he has made. It's incredible. All the past transgressions. When he forgives sin, listen, he forgives sin. This is a big deal because many of you this morning are holding on to that junk that was in your past that God's dealt with, but you don't believe he's dealt with it. How do I know? Because I'm that guy. It's so hard to think of God as being one of a forgetful God, but he is. And that's a beautiful, amazing, incredible attribute of our God this morning. You've gotta understand that. You've gotta hear that. You've gotta see what scripture's saying here. It's incredibly important. So who is the Lord? He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And we know that because he chooses to forgive and to forget our sin. Wow. Kind of started preaching there like a Baptist. (laughs) All right. Number four, and because of this, man, we need to praise God. That's our response. But in verse 14, before we get back to that, it says something really fascinating. Check this out. It says, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass and a flower of the fields, and so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and the place acknowledges it no longer. In San Diego, um, we've got this part of the, the, the county that is, is God forsaken. No one lives there. Everyone loves to come to the beach. Everyone loves to be where we live. Um, it's, it's great. It's wonderful. It's very temperate. It's like 72 degrees every single day. And, uh, but in East County, it's a different story. It's hotter than hell, literally, and, uh, and no one lives out there. It's desert, it's just, it's gross. And for some reason, the people in Arizona chose to build a city in the same environment. We can't figure it out. But that's why I vacation in Idaho this time of year because all the zonies come in from like the 120 degree heat of Phoenix, like, oh, help us. So anyway, that's, that's why I'm up here right now. So that was a rabbit trail in case you didn't know. But um, in East County, uh, once every like 400 years, it'll rain in Southern California. And so we've been in a drought forever and it finally, all the Southern California's like, oh, we just need the rain, we need the rain. They say that till it rains for one day, they're like, we're moving, this is terrible, this is the worst thing ever. No, no, people stay home from work, literally. When it rains, people will, like a snow day here, people are like, I can't go to work, it's raining. What are you, how are you supposed to drive it? How am I supposed to eat a taco in the rain? I don't know, I don't know. And... In East County, when it does rain, like it did this past winter, um, the most amazing thing happens, it's called the super bloom. And all these California poppies like sprout out from the ground and it turns all the desolate East County hills and mountains into just glorious color. It's incredible. It's so beautiful. And the news will come out and they're all there. All these Instagrammers will come out and take pictures of the poppies. And it's beautiful for like 12 and a half hours. And then what's what happens? The Santa Ana winds kick back up, that hot wind comes back over and they're gone. They're done forever. People are like, oh, we're in East County, get out of here. And everybody comes back to the beach. That's what the Bible's saying is your your life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're like the super bloom. Look how amazing I am. Look at all the attention I'm getting. The news is here. And then gone, done. 
Like, yeah, I went to church today and the pastor was really encouraging. <laughs> this is God's word. It's what it says. And guess what? It says that you're frail, that you're a sinner, that your days are numbered, and boy, are they short in the grand scheme of eternity. And guess what? God loves you. He knows you and he loves you. Check this out. Verse 17, and God's love for you is forever. Forever. You'll never watch the sandlot again without thinking, man, I remember the pastor saying that. He loves you forever. He knows your past. He knows your sin. He knows your sin of yesterday. He knows your sins of tomorrow. He knows the sin you're in right now in this very moment. And guess what? He loves you. He loves you. He knows that your days are short. Joel Parker, here today, gone tomorrow. I'll leave here literally, and uh, I, I go hop a flight back to Boise, where my family is. And do you all know Nate Collins? Nate Collins, we all love Nate Collins. Daniel Collins is brother, but Nate's an instructor pilot. And for the next three days, I'll be flying one of those little planes around the backcountry of Idaho with Nate. You know the kind of plane that will end up on the news typically? <laughs> That's why your days are numbered, man. I might not even make it till Wednesday. Life is short. Life is short and frail. You're not a big deal. You're not as a big deal as you think you are. Doesn't matter what your job title is. Doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. Doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. Your days are short. The Bible's reminding us of that. Sometimes we forget. God loves us right in the middle of it. This, verse 17, it continues. It says that his righteousness is yours. What an amazing gift. And your children and your children's children's. To all those who keep his covenant, remembering his precepts and do them. Remember, this is the old covenant. Speaking of obeying God, keeping the law, and God protecting and blessing you, just like he did with Israel. But we understand that we're under the new covenant. Romans 3.22 articulates it beautifully, saying the righteousness of Christ is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So, he knows you. He knows you're frail. He knows you're a sinner. He loves you forever. It's fun to say with a mustache. It kind of tickles your nose. And his righteousness and his salvation are yours. That's incredible. That's incredible. So I think God deserves some praise because of all this, right? So does the author and David here as he closes out the chapter, verse 20 says, so bless the Lord, you his angels. Verse 20 says, bless the Lord, who are mighty in strength. Verse 21, it says, bless the Lord, all the hosts. And then he says, bless the Lord, all you works of his, that's us. He's going, come on. He pleaded with his soul to bless the Lord. Now he's pleading with us. Come on, you guys. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. We know that when we praise God, when we enter into the physical act of worship, number one, we are aligned, joining with the rest of creation and no longer autonomous. We know that even the rocks are gonna cry out. We see, especially in creation here, I love that the mountain is out today. I just look at that thing and just go, man, that thing is praising God. Its posture is just magnificent. It's just one of the most incredible things in nature and we see it just directing its praise and its posture right to God. We see that. And so when we enter into praise, we're joining in with Mount Rainier and we're joining in with the trees and the ocean and all of nature. And we are no longer this unique, isolated Joel Parker just trying to 
make his way through life. We're part of something big, and that's what praise accomplishes. Number two, that we are being honest and truthful about God and his world. There are many mornings when I find it just incredibly difficult to come to church. <laughs> Can I say that from the stage? And I find myself going, oh, okay, and like going into church Sunday morning, and the worship pastor comes out like, hey, good morning, everybody. Who's excited to be here? I go, <laughs> like, not me. And they pay me to be here. That's what's crazy. I'm a professional Christian. <laughs> and I'm just going, oh, all right. And we're singing songs. And the other, like a month ago, uh, there's a song saying, saying, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. And I couldn't sing it out loud. I'm just going, ah, and I couldn't sing it. And I had to examine my heart, like, why can't you sing right now? Because you have bad breath? You're worried about the people in front of you? Because you have a horrible voice? Like, what is it? What's going on? I'm going, I don't know if I believe that right now. I'm so consumed with who I am and my life and my traffic and this and that, all the things going on in my life that, I just, I don't know if I believe this right in this moment. There's a truthful moment that happened when I finally go, well, are you a child of God? Or are you Joel Parker, filmmaker, pastor, whatever titles you want to put on yourself? Or do you want the title that you're a child of God? I'm like, when I came into the sanctuary, I wanted all the other titles. But here in this moment, this truthful moment, I just need the title that I am a child of God. And I just, my soul just erupted and I just finally was able to lift my hands and praise God and say, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. And I sang it loud and it was just so relieving and so freeing to be able to declare truth. That's what praise accomplishes when we gather to sing songs. It's not because we're all hippies and we just want to like sing songs together around the campfire. It's because it's aligning ourselves with truth. Number three, we are feeding and strengthening our souls. Have you ever left church bummed? No, you come to church bummed. You leave stoked. <laughs> That's just how it works, at least for me. I used to love, like out here, it used to say, like, you are now entering the mission field. As we'd leave the church, we would leave and enter into God's mission. I just remember leaving. Oh, I love coming, hearing Ray preach God's truth hearing Kevin and the worship team lead us. I just, man, I, I just, I love, I love that feeling. I feel, I feel fed, I feel strengthened. Number four, we enter in the wonderland of God, seeing what's good, loving, and truthful. I love it when mature Christians don't become mature Christians in the sense that they know everything there is to know about God's word, and they will point out everything that's wrong in your life and they've figured God out, and they've put him in this little box, and there he sits, and we know everything about him. Isn't this wonderful? I like Christians who, when they talk about God, it's just massive and big and scary and incredible and wonderful. And when I sing praises to God, he becomes that God again. That's the kind of Christian I want, I want to be, and I think that's what David's going, come on. No more lip syncing. Let's sing it out. Let's do this. Number five, we are filled with God's love to love others. When I see, when I come into a worship setting and I find myself in a place of worship, I 
able to finally put myself aside and fix my attention to Jesus. And when that happens, I start to see my spouse, and I start to see my kids, and I start to see my neighbor, and I start to see my enemy. And not only that, I'm able to start loving them as they deserve to be loved. I think praise accomplishes that. And lastly, there's just power in praise. There just really is. It doesn't matter what style of praise and worship. We have our style here at Calvary, and we love it. It's wonderful. We love the worship team. I love that they have a choir over at the Puyallup campus. That was super fun. It's really fun to go check out other flavors of Christianity. Go check out the lady with the organ. You know, like go to First Press in, in Tacoma. It's amazing. It's powerful. I used to love going there as a little kid and that organ would just shake that big brick sanctuary. There's power in worshiping God. Or like a gospel service, man. It doesn't matter if you're white, purple, brown, whatever. It's fun to like dance and to clap and to just see the energy around gospel music. It's incredible. I love traveling. I travel a lot for my job and I love to see how the church operates and functions and praises all around the world and beautiful. It's wonderful. It's powerful. It's incredible. When I was, uh, this is about 10 years ago, uh, my wife, I, I was premiering one of my films in New York City at a film festival. I said, Rachel, why don't you come with me? And we'll, we'll like do this like 48 hour date and we'll just like, we'll just like tear apart New York City. It'll be incredible. So we did. We went everywhere. We went to all the places uh, and ate all the food and it was just wonderful. And I remember we were walking down 7th Avenue hand in hand and all of a sudden there it was. There was Carnegie Hall right there. I'm like, oh my gosh, and I'd never been because my aunt passed away when I was in high school. I never got a chance to go see Carnegie Hall. And I go, wow, there it was, this big, massive brick structure that stood for 100 years or whatever. And my aunt, my aunt had an uh, uh, apartment right at the top of Carnegie Hall that looked out over Central Park. I go, oh my gosh, Aunt Judy used to live there. So cool. And so in this like Hollywood moment where I became Tom Hanks and Rachel became Meg Ryan, I grabbed her hand and we ran across 7th Avenue. Cabs are stopping, nearly hitting us. And we ran up to the front doors of Carnegie Hall and the doors were locked. I'm like, no, oh my gosh. And so if you know me, I've got this little saying it's like, find the yes. There's a yes out there, you just gotta find it. And those locked doors were a no, but there's a yes somewhere, so let's go around back. <laughs> so we go down the, we go into the, uh, the, uh, the alleyway there, and there's, there's a door, and I go up to it, I'm like, for sure this is locked, it opened. I'm like, oh my gosh. So we go inside the back of Carnegie Hall, looking like this, and this huge buff, African-American dude is behind the security thing and he's looking at me, he's going, you're not Isaac Stern. <laughs> you're not Yo-Yo Ma. And I'm going, uh, hey man, my name's Joel Parker and I'm from the Seattle area and I, uh, my aunt was the executive director here in the 80s and the 90s and she passed away of breast cancer in the late 90s but um, I never got a chance to see Carnegie Hall. I was wondering if I could... Uh, just poke my nose in and see, you know, where she worked uh, for so many years. He goes, you wait right here. I'm like, uh-oh. I had visions of him grabbing me by my blouse and throwing me out in the alley. <laughs> he comes around, he comes around, he goes, Mr. Parker, he goes, your aunt hired me when I was 20 years old to be her personal security detail. He goes, I loved your aunt. 
He goes, the place is yours. Go wherever you want. I go, whoa! <laughs> and so we're like, okay, we're, start, we're starting down the halls of Carnegie Hall. He goes, hey, wait! I go, yeah? He goes, hey, in the main hall, the Chicago uh, Philharmonic is practicing for a concert tonight. It's sold out. I can't get you tickets, but why don't you just go in there and have a free concert right now? Kid you not, Rachel and I go in, we sit in this grand hall, and we're sitting there, two people in the audience, 150 people on stage, and the power of musicians who have dedicated their life to this craft. I don't care what you're into, I don't care if Pearl Jam's your favorite band, when something like that takes place, it is incredibly powerful. And we're sitting there going, wow. And I think that's the picture of praise that we need to be invited to, to where we are the ones on stage. God is the one in this great sanctuary and we are worshiping and playing, doing our very best for him. I think that's the worship that he's speaking of here. That famous saying where the cab driver pulls up and somebody asks for directions to Carnegie Hall. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 and he drives off. I think worship and praise is something that needs to be practiced. I think we kind of come in here to church sometimes kind of junior varsity a little bit and we lip sync along and we wonder why isn't there power? Why have we lost our song? Well, I think a couple things will help us fix that. Number one, if you've lost your song this morning, maybe it's time to reprioritize our praise. And it, this may sound like a sermon. This is my journal. If this feels like uh, a slap across the face, please understand this is a black eye for myself. I know in my life, I, I tend to prioritize things like my job and house, car and status, all these things that mean literally nothing. No one cares. You are replaceable. <laughs> Your car can be totaled. Your house won't stand the test of time. So when we put all of our emphasis and all of our praise and all of our worth in these things and we wonder, why have we lost our song? Why don't I feel that love like he spoke of at that church service one day? Or why don't I hear music like I once did? It's because you're worshiping the wrong stuff, man. There needs to be a shift and Jesus needs to make his way from the 12th position, maybe back up to the third position and see what happens. And then try to get him into the second position. And as you get him into that first position in your life, look out, man, your soul's gonna come alive. It will. I, I guarantee, this is, a, this is a money back guarantee. It will come alive. You will start to breathe again. You will start to sing again. I know it to be true because this is the story of my life. This is the journey of my spirituality. And secondly, you just gotta do it. You just gotta do it. Just stop, don't worry about reading books. Like, don't wait for the sermon to come along with five points and here's how I get my song back. No, just do the dang thing. Just like David, bless, my, bless the Lord, oh my soul. You just do it, you just start. You just do the dang thing. And you continue tonight and tomorrow and et cetera. My daughter has social anxiety. She's eight years old, she's so cute. She's a little, little surfer girl, but she doesn't like to be around big crowds and she doesn't like to be the center of attention. And uh, she doesn't like to do anything that would bring attention to herself. 
Well, the other night we were, we were at home and all of a sudden we look out the window and oh my gosh, this, like, all the buildings around us had turned like nuclear pink to the point, point where I was like, I need, is San Onofre nuclear plant like melting down? Do we need to like leave now? We go outside, it was just one of those sunsets that was just like, it was crazy. It was so beautiful. And we have this thing, most every night if there's a good sunset, we hop in our car and we just drive down to the beach and we watch the sunset with all the tourists and all the locals and all the surfers for like 37 seconds, all of humanity gets along. And we all just stare out at the horizon like stoners just going, wow. (laughs) There's harmony and everyone gets along. And so we're like, quick, let's go down to the beach. This is incredible. So we hop in the car and we roll down all the windows and the warm San Diego air was just filling our car and we're driving down the beach and my daughter from the back seat, she goes, this is amazing. I go, isn't this incredible? She goes, on the count of three, let's all lean out the windows and yell at the top of our lungs, thank you, Jesus. And I go, no. We will not do that. We have neighbors. That's embarrassing. No. And quickly realizing my hypocrisy, I thought, okay. So from the back seat, one, two, three, and out we stuck our heads. Thank you, Jesus. And I think there's something to be learned from that moment. It's just like, just do it. Just go. Just, just do the dang thing. Stop waiting for, well, if God is good, then I will respond with praise. He's good. Read your Bible. Your situations suck? Welcome to the club. Every human situation sucks. We've got a death sentence. We're all gonna die. It's not of reciprocity. It's you start with praise. You start with praise. You wake up, you start with praise. Whatever you're doing, start there. It'll help you remember how good God is. It'll help you remember his character and his love for you. So we're gonna practice that right now. Would you guys mind standing up? We're gonna have the worship team out here right now. I'm gonna read a little bit from the end of Psalms. I just think we need to do the dang thing right now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow. The Lord will reign forever. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant and praise is becoming. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. So sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. He makes peace in your borders. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all the stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens, let him praise the name of the Lord. For he is commanded and they were created. Praise the Lord. 
praise the Lord from the earth, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word, mountains and all the hills, fruit trees and all the cedars, beasts and cattle, creeping things and winged fowl, kings of the earth and all the people, princes, judges, young men, virgins, old men, children, for his name alone is to be exalted. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with loud cymbals. Dave, where are you at? Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So praise the Lord. All my soul and all that is within me, praise his holy name.